Welcome to another video interview of Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. I am your host, Cheryl Todd, and we are brought to you by azfirearms.com, the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. Well, I am excited today to introduce you to Yehuda Reamer. Now, Yehuda has just written a brand new book. It was just published in January. It's called Safety On, and it is a, an educational book talking to children about how to stay safe with guns. Welcome to the show, Yehuda. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Now, you and I have been playing a little bit of uh, Facebook Messenger tag, shall we say, <laughs> trying to find a, a good time to uh, have this talk uh, because you've been so excited about your book and I've been so excited about your book, but uh, I just hadn't had a chance to connect with you until today. So I'm so glad that you were available. So talk to us about this book. Uh, what is it about? Um, is it, you know, a, a, a war and peace? You know, is it a big, heavy volume? Is it, you know, tell us just a little bit about what this, this book is about. Yeah, sure. Um, no, the book is about 40 pages, about half the book is one sentence per page because it goes over the rules that I just wrote about in the first 20 pages. Um, and the book follows a little boy named Kyle who wants to emulate his father. And he talks about the different gun protocols and safety protocols that you take while living with firearms in the home. And what's really cool about the book is that the book does not, it is told from the eyes of the little boy, Kyle, not from an adult. So it gives a peer-to-peer -peer interaction rather than an adult preaching to the child, don't do this, don't do that. Well, it's really well done. It's illustrated beautifully. And I think the fact that it is a quick read will not only encourage people to, to pick it up, um, but also that it's, it's something that is for kids. It's something that adults could use for kids or it's something that kids could read for themselves because you've kind of geared it for what age group again? Exactly. It was geared for ages 6 to 10. So if a child or someone's child is just learning to read, it's easy enough for them to read it and understand it. Well, if a child already knows how to read and you want to introduce firearms to your child as well when they're ages, let's say 10, you know, it, it's not written in a baby form where a 10 year old will be like, why am I reading such a baby book? So it, <laughs> it's a nice spectrum there. That's I, well put. And I'm going to screen share real quick. And this is the, always the thing that I don't do as well um, as some of my other talents. But if I do this correctly, do you see the cover of your book right there? Yes, I do. Looks good. I, I did it correctly. I'm going to move us out of the way. So this is the name of the book, Safety On, an introduction to the world of firearms for children. And so on my, I think my favorite page of the book, because you have it not only in paper, right, but also downloadable, which I have done here. Yes. But my favorite picture is this one. 
My dad tells me guns are important. He says they could be used for good things or bad things. Policemen, soldiers, and even regular people like my dad and mom carry guns to protect their families and neighbors. He says it's an American right to own a gun. But he also said, you have to be very careful when using a gun because it is dangerous and could hurt someone. I just love all the visuals you've used here. The words are so clear. And, and like you said, a 10-year-old would be engaged but not felt talked down to. Right. Yeah, and uh, this, this actually, it's funny. This tends to be a lot of people's favorite page. I believe it. It just kind of tells the spectrum. You know, so often uh, we proponents and defenders of the Second Amendment are painted in a, as a certain kind of a caricature, as a stereotype. And I love that in one visual, you've kind of shattered that whole idea. Yeah. And, you know, it's, and it actually brings me to the way I was raised. I, I grew up in Los Angeles um, where in a very apolitical family and the notion of a civilian owning a firearm was so foreign to me that I, I only thought growing up that the only people allowed to own firearms were, you know, law enforcement, military, and obviously bad guys always had them. But, you know, the, the notion of a second amendment until I started actually learning about the constitution and really paying attention to the country when I was in my early twenties, it just didn't dawn on me. So that's why that page really also meant something special because it really encompasses the many different types of people who carry for a good reason rather than, you know, the bad guys out there who, obviously don't. Absolutely. So there's so many things I want to dive into while I have you with us today. Um, but one of them, of course, is your family history. Yeah, now, you're Orthodox Jewish, right? You say you were born in LA, yeah. California, yep. but then didn't stay in LA, right? I mean, I was there for 30 years until my wife and I decided to move to, as I like to call it, the United State of Texas and uh, get, get it, move to real America. So, <laughs> And so when you were in L.A. and you were younger, you say you didn't have any kind of um, interest in guns. They just they weren't part of your world because you weren't a bad guy. You weren't a police officer. Right. Uh, right. What, what started you on that journey to start thinking about, well, wait a minute, maybe, maybe guns are part of my world, or this thing called the Second Amendment is part of my world? How did that come into play? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I grew up watching tons of movies. I mean, literally, Universal Studios was a five-minute drive from my home. So, uh, you know, I, I grew up meeting tons of celebrities because they were always around. And what it came down to is that I was always fascinated by firearms. Um, I'd been shooting a couple times in my life before, you know, I really got into it, but it wasn't until um, Barack Obama was running in 2008 that I started actually paying attention to politics. And obviously one of the first things that a, a real American would learn about while learning about politics is the Constitution. And I started reading about it. I started reading about the Second Amendment. And it fascinated me because I was like, wow, civilians can own firearms for, you know, uh, self-defense purposes. 
or obviously hunting, but, you know, self-defensive purposes. And that was just crazy to me. I, I, I didn't <laughs> grow up with that mindset, especially coming from a very apolitical family. So I had a really good buddy of mine who called me up one day and he's like, hey, let's go shooting. I'm like, okay. So we go to my local gun range in LA and literally my buddy, it was like right out of a movie. I, I'm not lying. He, he like unwrapped a thing and there's just like fire on fire on fire. I'm like AR-15s, handguns, his shotgun. I'm just like, I'm like, what do I, what, what do I do? Where do I start? He goes, wherever you want. And um, I kind of got a bug for it. And he, I mean, this guy's one of my best friends to, to this day. He pushed me to get my first gun. Um, and then, you know, he, he told me, which I didn't believe him, that there is a real thing called gun fever. Yeah. And before I knew it, I owned five guns. And um, I know that's not a lot to most people out there who probably are watching the show, but, you know, it's a start. Absolutely. And it's an investment. And, yes. you know, you, you want to own what is, is useful to you. Um, so, you know, if you've got what's useful to you, then you have enough, whatever that means, right? Exactly. So, so that's kind of your journey into the second amendment. Was there something, was there something about the, that particular election with Barack Obama? Was it his rhetoric about the second amendment that, that kind of sparked your interest into the constitution or could you, can you remember what that? What was special about that moment that, that made you lean in and, and want to learn more? Well, it, it's actually interesting. It, it wasn't necessarily Barack Obama that got me into politics. It was a little before that. I was driving to work one day and I was listening to the local FM DJs um, on the big radio station in LA. And I'm not even going to tell you what they were talking about. But as I was listening to them, and, I, and I'd been listening to them for years, as I was listening to them, I truly felt brain cells in my head just like exploding one by one. I felt myself getting stupider by the minute. And I just turned that off. I, was, I turned on AM radio, talk radio, and I haven't looked back. And, and over the course of the next year, um, which was in 2007, so running up to the election, um, I found out that, you know, most Jews, uh, you hear a lot of Jews are Democrats. Mm -hmm. So not only did I find out that I'm not a Democrat, I was like, I'm not even a Republican. Like, do they have a conservative party? And, um, and that's what got me really interested in politics, which led me to learning about the Constitution and the Second Amendment. That's really awesome. And it's so important, I think, for us to um, hear other people's journeys, because a lot of people are, you know, well, okay, so I'm Jewish, so I must be X, Y, or Z, right? Or there's a lot of people in maybe the black community, they're like, I'm black, so I must be X, Y, or Z. Um, you know, it could be anything. And so when you dive in, and you really examine yourself and say, you know, I agree with that, but then this other thing over here, I don't. So does that make me independent? Does that make me, you know, I'm still conservative, but maybe I'm not a Republican. It's so important to break those things down. And so often I think we just kind of 
take it for granted. You know, well, my grandparents always voted this way, so I guess I'll always vote that way. So I admire you for really going through that process and examining yourself um, and coming to a conclusion that you truly own. I think that's the main thing for me is that you truly own it. Yeah, um, and it was interesting because literally, like, as I was in the car every day listening to them, I'm like, I, I found myself going like this. Well, that makes sense. That that makes sense. <laughs> well, obviously, who wouldn't do it that way? And then I was just like, epiphany moment. And uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, and here I am. And here you are. So the other thing I wanted to ask you about is I've never written a book. I've never written a children's book. I've never gone through the process of, you know, how do you even start? And what is what does it mean to be published? Are you self-published? Did you have to find a publisher? Like, how does that work? But talk to us a little bit about all that. So when I first started writing the book, it was about five years ago. And I was having a bad day. And... My parents in the last, I think it was like three, four months previous to me starting the book, found out that I owned my first firearm. They didn't know I also had a Benelli shotgun and a Colt <laughs> AR-15. But again, I was already married with two kids. I wasn't even in the house. Right, but still. So, yeah, exactly. I found out. And then <laughs> Coming was, out of the closet a little bit, but it's it was, about guns. <laughs> yeah, and, and it was funny because um, all of a sudden you know, there was that Jewish guilt from your parents that you hear about. And, um, you know, real like, thing, right? <laughs> oh, it is a real thing. Trust me. Um, and, uh, it, it was funny because like, I'm sitting there and I'm like, I, my parents let me go to Israel by myself for two years to school. I was responsible enough to get married. I'm responsible enough to have children, but I'm not responsible enough to own firearms in the home. <laughs> and I started writing so kind of like in order to get my parents to kind of I hate to say shut up but to you know but yeah to get them to shut up I started writing this book it took me about 20 minutes to write the whole book and I sent it to a very good friend of mine who's in the LAPD and he called me up with his mind blown he was like dude you gotta get this published and I was like, okay, yeah, you know, I'm going to work on it. And he helped me with constructive criticism, add this, talk about that. And, I mean, he really, if it wasn't for him, um, you know, I, I wouldn't have ever published the book. But I kind of got lazy. I'm like, yeah, like, I'm really going to publish a book on gun safety. Like, is that really going to happen? And, you know, I, I, set, I, I pushed it off for a few months. And I went back to it, came, you know, went back to it, just back and forth, back and forth. and finally. Um, when I moved to Texas three years ago, I really put it into gear and I got the book illustrated and it took me about a year and a half to actually find an agent who would be willing to publish it because we're talking about, and this was in the, in the era of Obama. So we were talking about a, a book on guns and kids in a positive light. And I got an agent who was amazing, um, signed with a great publishing company, and then three months later, the publishing company dropped me, canceled the book deal, and my agent dropped me. And I was, I mean, devastated was an understatement. I've been working on it for uh, four years at that point, and four and a half years at that point, and I was just, my heart was ripped out. 
Mm, and nice. this is again after being turned down by over 60 literary agents and um, countless publishing companies. And I went through the whole summer until I finally found a small publishing company um, called White Feather Press, run by a guy named Skip Coriel. And he published it and he loved it. And yeah, so, it, you know, it definitely wasn't an easy journey because of the nature of the book. Yeah. But it, it was, it, it was well worth it. So. Well, I'm so glad you persevered. There's so many books out there right now that are never going to happen because somebody hit a roadblock. And so many ideas out there that are never going to happen because someone hit a roadblock. And uh, so I always extra applaud people who have fought through the roadblock. So really, congratulations and thank you. Because this, this could save lives. We're talking about possibly saving lives because, you know, you go through the the safety, um, the step, safety steps, you go through kind of the, the stop, don't touch, you know, tell an adult, uh, all the things that a, a, a kid would need to know if he, and even one of your illustrations is of, I think it's a father and a son walking and in the foreground, you see a gun just laying in a field. Right. This happens, yeah. right? Kids, just because you don't have guns at home, in your home does not mean that your kids would not encounter one um, in a public restroom, perhaps. That's happened, right? And so, 100%. Right. So why not empower kids with education and knowledge? I mean, what more should we be doing as adults and parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles? So. Well, that's actually, that's actually probably the most common question I'm asked from random people on Twitter or Facebook or even you know, people in my community, they always ask, well, we understand your book if you own a firearm in the home, but what if you don't own a firearm and you don't introduce your kids to firearms and they have nothing to do with them? I said, well, what happens if you take your child to a park and you, know, you look down at your phone for a second to check a text message and your child walks up and finds a gun somewhere it's not supposed to be, do you trust your kid to do the right thing? And obviously there is just dead silence. And they're like, oh, maybe we will get your book now. It's a, you know, it's, yeah. so, no, it's true. You, you just, whether you're on the right side of the aisle or left side of the aisle really doesn't make a difference. The book is there to educate and save lives. And if I end up saving one life because of my book, then mission accomplished. Absolutely. So now you have an adorable 18-month-old. So your parents are now grandparents and they know you have guns, and you've written this book. Uh, where are they now with this whole thing? Uh, so they're very supportive. They're very, very supportive. Although, um, you know, when they come to visit us in Texas, I, I do walk around my home with a Glock on my hip in plain sight, and that could be a little more of me just trying to get a rise out of them. I mean. <laughs> I, I am still a, I, I am still their child, and it is a child's responsibility to drive parents crazy. So you know, I, I definitely will do that. But they are they do happen to be very supportive now. Yeah, um, they have helped me with different financial things that I needed, you know, backing with, um, and I'm very appreciative that they they've come to terms with it. 
they realize that, you know, for me, it's not a fad. It's not something I'm not trying to break into the fire in the firearms industry because it's a cool thing to do. They yeah. realize that it really is my passion and yeah. something that I want to do with the rest of my life. So they're, they've definitely uh, turned over a new leaf and are um, supportive now. That's fantastic. Now you've gained some other support from people in the firearms industry and you've gotten some pretty neat endorsements uh, yeah. on this uh, book. So talk to us a little, brag a little bit, brag on yourself a little bit. Um, I would have to say probably, I mean, probably the most prestigious in my eyes um, from the endorsements that I've received, but not people, obviously people in the gun industry know who he is, but outside of the gun industry, not. But getting Masada Ayub's endorsement was just, I mean, you can't get anyone bigger in terms of gun training. I mean, that was just such a blessing to, to get that endorsement. Um, I have Alan West's endorsement. That's fantastic uh, as well. Yeah, which was very cool. He was actually the first person to back my book. Um, more than just even guns, he's so much about liberty. He's so much right. about the Constitution. And so, you know, you've got the gun guru, you've got the Constitution guru. I mean, that right there is the two big sides of the coin, right? Yeah, no, for sure. And, and um, a good friend of mine sent me up, hooked me up with uh, Colonel West, and I was able to sit and have a, like, a 45 minute meeting with him, just me and him. And I was, I mean, absolutely terrified and nervous and, but he was such a gentleman. So cool. Um, so yeah, he endorsed my book. Um, Alan Gottlieb and the second amendment foundation have backed my book, yes. which was also very, pretty, uh, pretty amazing feeling. Yes. And then there's that rights piece, the people that are fighting to protect your rights so that when your child does grow up and my grandbaby grows up, and their children grow up that they have the same rights and same opportunities that we do. So yeah. I love that they're understanding the importance of all of this. So yeah, and 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 Mr. Gottlieb was has just been a really just phenomenal and just really helpful, and that was very cool of him. Um, who else? Uh, A. W. R. Hawkins from Breitbart. Um, you know, obviously one of the leading journalists in the country on the second amendment so getting his blessing and endorsement was a big thing for me um and also uh although she hasn't written anything specifically and if she ends up seeing this i'm calling you out on it but she, <laughs> she has um antonia okafor oh, i love has, her has endorsed my book i'm good friends with her and she says, she said, yep, so I'm endorsing it. I'll write you something. So if she does see this, um, I'm waiting for that actual official statement. <laughs> but otherwise, uh, no, she's, she's awesome. She's been a huge support um, and really trying, helping me get my book out there. And, you know, I, there's been a couple other ones out there, but those yeah. are some of the bigger ones that I've had so far. Right. And we don't want to leave anybody off the list, of course, but um, it's really awesome to when I see that the Second Amendment, the gun industry, the, you know, who, however you want to phrase that, when we come together, because we really are mostly, I mean, 99.9% .9 of those communities, that community is very mutually supportive. Like, everybody realizes that, you know, 
there's a few squabbles here and there. There's a little bit of sibling rivalry here and there. But most of us really do understand that um, it's too important <laughs> to engage in either having egos and you're unreachable or, um, you know, to have the sibling rivalry. So I just love when I see that uh, happen. So um, before we run out of time, I also wanted to talk about your uh, your family's history, like your grandparents' history, your parents' history, because your family, uh, your grandparents specifically, right, are Holocaust survivors. Yes. Right? Yes. So, you know, to just really bring the realness of that home, we're talking two generations from you, the guy I'm sitting here talking to right now, uh, or people whose entire way of living, not just their way of living, but their very being was threatened by crazy ideology, right? Yeah. And so a couple things about that, it always, because of all the atrocities of the Holocaust, it always strikes me as odd that Jewish people aren't like armed to the teeth, right? <laughs> that they're not like, nobody's getting in any house or any car or anything that I'm my business, nobody's getting in here because I am armed to the teeth and I am you know, fighting tooth and nail for every syllable of the second amendment so that this kind of thing, I'd at least have a fighting chance against. Um, but that isn't the case for, for a lot of Jewish people. And that was the way you were raised. It was a, you were apolitical. Your family just wasn't engaged in the, the political mess that's out there. And, uh, but that also kind of causes you to be a constitutional, you know, you just didn't really, you weren't aware of it. But as far as that self-protection angle, it, it, what do you think that's about? Has anybody talked about that in your family? Um, no one's really talked about it in my family. I, I know it is a very big subject, especially nowadays um, within the Jewish communities, um, not just in the U.S., but in the world, because there's we've we have, we've never seen anti-Semitism on such a global level than we we have today. Mm -hmm. um, I I lost over thirty relatives in the Holocaust. My grandfather, who passed away four years ago. He had numbers tattooed on his arm. He, when he was 14, he was pulling gold teeth out of dead bodies. Um, you know, I mean, I, I have amazing stories about how my family survived. But one of the big things in, in the Jewish world is that there's something called a shtetl mentality. A shtetl is, was a, a small village mentality back in Eastern Europe in, you know, the 1718 and early 1900s. And it basically was a mentality where Jews were treated as second-class citizens. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I feel that it crossed over to anyone who survived. The Holocaust still had that mentality somewhat, and they passed it down. So if you're a second-class citizen... Owning a firearm, you know, you, you, you might own a firearm for protection, but you know if you use it, more pogroms are going to ha happen or, you know, you're going to be taken out and shot behind a bush or something because of the way Eastern European treated Jews. Mm. So when you have that kind of mentality, going forward, 
you just don't want to be put into a situation where, you know, that might happen despite the fact that it won't happen nowadays. I mean, I guess it could technically, but um, it won't. So I'm a very vo- I'm very vocal about Jews owning guns, and I believe that Jews should um, get permits to carry, and if not carry, definitely you know have them in the home for self defense. You never know what can happen. Um, I, look, I think that there are too many good Americans in this country to allow another Holocaust to happen. But out of nowhere, we all thought, Jews and non-Jews, like, we all thought that, you know, the neo-Nazi movement, Nazism, was nearly eradicated. We, we didn't hear about it for the last 20 years in the America, if not more. All of a sudden, in the last two weeks, you know, I'm going to say they, they crawled out from beneath the uh, stones they live under. These, right, these animals. And, you know... Nazism is alive. Unfortunately, it is alive. And, you know, seeing, seeing, for me, seeing these pictures of these neo-Nazis at rallies holding an American flag with half a swastika on the other side of the flag and, you know, doing the Hail Hitler salute, well, it was only 70 years ago that our grandparents, A, either died under that regime or, you know, grandparents also died fighting to free Europe from that regime. And you're bringing it here. It just, it it boggles the mind. Boggles the mind. I agree with you a hundred percent. And, and I, that was the way you described um, why maybe Jewish people have sort of stayed away from uh, firearms. That's the first time it's been described to me that way. And I, I really appreciate it. So is it sort of like if I if I appear to be someone that could provoke you, then I am almost like asking for trouble. But if I if I'm just doing my thing and leaving you alone, then I'm I'm likely to stay away from trouble. Does that kind yeah. of yeah, that kind of uh, uh, sums it up somewhat. It's so interesting. Well, there is an organization out there called um, Jews for the Preservation of Firearm Ownership. Yeah, right. And they have made some very compelling uh, videos that we've talked about on our show in the past. And I definitely encourage everybody to check those out because they really kind of paint the picture of, you know, other societies that have taken guns away it never leads to something better, <laughs> you know? So whatever this, um, you know, utopia is that people that think if we just do away with guns, that everybody's just going to sing Kumbaya and love one another. Uh, history has a very clear indication of just the opposite and that it never actually improves a society to, um, to disarm the citizens and to take away their opportunity to protect themselves. Um, so it, say the name of that again, Jews for the Preservation of Firearm Ownership. Firearm Ownership. J-P-F-O, I think. Yes. If I'm right. Um, and uh, I, I want to definitely uh, tell people how to get a hold of your book and, and wrap up there. 
but since we've touched on the whole neo-Nazi uh, craziness that has just kind of seemingly come out of nowhere uh, the last couple of weeks um, and statues of, of Confederate you know generals and soldiers being you know defaced and and all this this argument that's going on um, are we celebrating hatred because we have a statue of Robert E. Lee? Are we reminding ourselves of, you know, history that we don't want to repeat if we leave the statue of Robert E. Lee? Like, this is sort of the, the argument and the debate that's going on out there. And then in the middle of all of this, I noticed on Facebook, you put up a post of a coin that you keep in your pocket. And you wrote very eloquently about what the coin was and what it means to you and i just wondered if you would talk to us about that for a minute yeah um so i don't really carry it in my pocket that often just because i really do not want to lose that um but uh about 15 years ago i had the privilege of going to poland on a holocaust oriented trip and um i used to be used to do photography professionally so um, I, I'm in Auschwitz, in Auschwitz-Birkenau, where the gas chambers were and where I think it was like three point something million people died there. Um, and my, 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 the group of people I was with were standing in the angle where I wanted to get, you know, the whole Birkenau and the entrance and, you know, behind them. So I take the picture and I'm about 20 feet away from them where these old barracks used to be and I sit down on a, on a slab of wood and I'm listening to our tour guide about 20 minutes kind of uh, about 20 feet away kind of just in my own world and I look down and I see a it looked like a coca-cola cap from like a glass bottle and I pick it up and you know encrusted in dirt and I'm just rubbing it and after about a couple minutes later I look down and I'm staring at a swastika and I found a 50 cent piece, a 50 cent coin from Nazi Germany um, after 60 years lying on the ground there. Um, I found it and I brought it home with me. Giving me goosebumps. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was, it, was, it was crazy. I mean, for someone who's a fan of history and archaeology and, you know, I always wanted to be Indiana Jones. So here I am finding, you know, dealing with the Nazis in history and... Um, I brought it home and, you know, in light of all of these people clamoring, uh, you know, we have to take down the Robert E. Lee uh, statues and that's this statue and that statue because it represents racism and that, well, here I am a Orthodox Jew owning a piece of Nazi history. And it reminds me of three things. A, it reminds me of what my family went through. B, it reminds me of how my family survived. And see, and, and this, is, this was the not eloquent part of the post, and see, it's a big F you to Hitler saying, hey, your 1,000-year Reich lasted six years, uh, 12 years, I'm sorry, 1933, 12 years. Here I am in 2017, an Orthodox Jew owning a piece of what you were hoping to be a legacy. So I'm here, you're not. F you Hitler. And, you know, that's why I would refuse to get rid of it because it, it really is a reminder of what my people went through. So, you know, I wish more people would have that mentality. I mean, 
the reason why they're breaking down the statues is an entire different topic. I really don't think it has anything to do with racism because it's been up there for however many years and no one said anything until, you know, Trump took office. So, but that's a whole different conversation we can have another time. So that's the story. I just thought that was so, so interesting. And especially when you do talk about how Hitler had planned his thousand year reign and, uh, you know, had his coinage minted up and, uh, you know, it's just like, you know, if we forget these things, you know, if you didn't know that, then how are you supposed to tell your child, right? And then how are they supposed to tell their child? And then when these crazy ideas start bubbling up, we don't have that touchstone in history to go back and go, look, this is the road this leads down. And here's our proof. We remember, you know, you can burn all the books you want, whatever. We know what history was. We knew, we know what happens and we know what, what things tend to lead to, to, um, utopia, real utopia and what things lead to uh, fake utopia. That's really a disaster. But well, uh, on that, just quickly, it's interesting, you know, in Judaism, we all, you, you hear a lot of Jews saying never again, never again, never again. Um, when people say that, I said, well, what are you doing about it? Mm. And they don't have an answer. And I always tell them, I'm like, never again means nothing if you're not willing to do something about it. Mm. And one of the things besides obviously being very pro the second amendment and advocating for it is learning about your history and not getting rid of it and learning what went wrong, Mm -hmm. what we can change going forward. And if we can't learn from the past, I mean, I don't remember who said it, we're doomed to repeat it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it makes perfect sense. Why wouldn't it? Everything is cyclical in life, right? In nature. Um, so why wouldn't we repeat it again unless we are doing something different? And, and the other person, uh, the, the other saying is insanity. The definition of insanity is doing the same things over and over and expecting a different result. Yeah. Right. Put those two things together and, uh, you know, maybe let's just learn something and not just try to, you know, destroy history and pretend like it never happened. Yeah. So we do have to wrap up. I have just really enjoyed this time uh, talking with you about your book. Of course, it's called Safety On. And I want you to tell people how they can get a, a paper copy to hold in their hand. How can they download a digital copy? Um, go. <laughs> right now, the best place to get it is Amazon. Um, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, I have set up a shop on my website. I'm just trying to figure out a couple of financial details with the bank and stuff on getting a new account opened. And people will be able to go to my website and get signed copies if they want. And your website is? Yehudareamer.com. And you spell that how? Y-E-H-U-D-A-R-E-M-E-R.com. I mean, really, it's perfectly phonetically correct, but we just want to be sure everybody can uh, find it easily. And uh, can they follow you on any social media platforms? I'm on Facebook. Um, I'm willing to friend anybody, you know, accept friendships on Facebook as long as you have more than one friend and zero posts from 2017. Um, (laughs) And um, on Twitter, at Yehuda Reamer is my Twitter handle. 
Very good. Well, congratulations again on the book. Thank you again for writing the book. I'm, it makes me hopeful that you can still find publishers who won't ditch you in the middle of the process just because it's guns, right? I hear that. And I mean, I, yeah, I don't know if that's why they did it, but you know. It makes you wonder. Definitely. <laughs> So, and that you'll find uh, people in the industry that are willing to help lift you up and, and use their um, influence to tell others that they support you. I'm just, I'm excited about the whole thing. And I know that you and I both uh, have been honored to be speakers at the upcoming Gun Rights Policy Conference in Dallas. Yes. I'm so we were terrified, terrified about that. It'll be great. It'll be awesome. It's such a warm room. Uh, it's such a relaxed atmosphere uh, and it's free to the public. So please come out and uh, give Yehooter, Yehooter, <laughs> Yehuda <laughs> your support. And um, it, it'll just be a great time. And so I'm looking forward to getting to meet you in person in Very just nice. a couple of weeks. That's September 28th through October or September. 29th, October 1st. Yes, so that's in Dallas, the Gun Rights Policy Conference with the Second Amendment Foundation. So thank you again so much for being with us. Uh, Yehuda Reamer, author of Safety On. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Looking for the stuff. It's there somewhere. Hold on. Okay. Bye.